Sorry, I'm feeling like my voice is a little bit raspy this morning, so you just have to bear with me. <clears throat> but over, over the last three weeks, we have been uh, working our way through a series that's been focused on family, haven't we? Um, we've, been, we've been looking at the different family, family relationships and the different dynamics that there are, and we've, we've been challenged by this, this question of, how can I serve you? You know, we've looked at the husband and wife relationships and, and, and how, as, as godly husbands and godly wives, we are intended to be treating each other. And then we looked at, at parents and children last week and the parenting relationships and, and we looked at some different generalised types of parenting and then we looked at what God's word encourages us as parents. And, you know, so we've spent, we've spent time looking at relationship, haven't we? And, and all of us can relate to relationship. You know, we, we are all part of a family. It might be a good family, it might be a bad family, but it's relevant to all of us. And I hope we've been challenged through these last few weeks about what it is to be, to be part of family, what our role is to be part of family, whether, whether we are married or not, whether we still have parents or not. We are all children, we are all in relationship together, we are all part of a family unit and so today we're actually going to finish off this series on family and, and I'm going to be looking at the family of God because we all have invitation to be part of the family of God. You know, this is family. This gathering of people is family. The church is God's family. And it's a, it's, a, it's a family that's made up of people who have made that personal commitment and relationship with God. They've accepted God and invited Him in. And so today we're just going to spend some time just being reminded of who God is and, and His intention for His family. You know, maybe this is a reminder, maybe this is something you are hearing for the first time. But we are all invited to be part of God's family and it, and it starts with God, doesn't it? You know, God, God is a God of relationship. There is, there is no doubt about that. God is, God is three in one. He is the triune God. He is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And in itself, that is a family. And God's intention right from the very start was for us to be in that family with Him. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at God's family and what it means to be a part of that, what our responsibility is to be a part of that. And you know, we need to, we need to get it clear in our heads that God intended for there to be a family relationship between us, His creation and Himself. And so I want to start right back at the start, as you do, in Genesis. You know, the, fir the first book of the Bible that contains the creation story. And in that very first chapter, you know, we read about how God was creating all that we see. And it took him six days to do it. And how he made humans in his image. 
And as, as I was preparing for today, I was just really thinking about this and, and I spent time reading through the first few chapters of Genesis over and over, trying to just remind myself and be astounded at what God had done about his plan for relationship with us. And I wanted to, I wanted to really focus in on, on what it looked like before the bad and the ugly and the pain and the crazy and the dysfunction that we have now because of sin. And so as I read through, there was this particular selection of verses that's up on the screen here. that's found in chapter 2 of Genesis. And it's after God has created Adam, but he hasn't yet created Eve. And so let's read what it says, reading from Genesis 2, 19 to 20. It says, So the Lord God formed the ground, from the ground, all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. So I I want us to consider what this passage is telling us. It's telling us that God and Adam were working closely together, doesn't it? They were working closely together in the garden. God was creating these animals and creatures out of the dirt and he was bringing them to Adam and Adam was giving them a name. All the animals, all the birds... Now, I don't know how many animals or how many birds there are, but there's a lot, isn't there? I imagine that that process of creating and naming would have taken a lot of time. Not for God, but for Adam. And so that whole time, they are there, they are working together. They are establishing relationship together. And I can even picture God and Adam working together and perhaps joking and laughing as God took a horse and he stretched its neck and pulled its legs out and said, what are you going to call this one, a giraffe? Or perhaps grabbing a creature and stretching its nose ridiculously long to create the elephant. You know, there are creatures that we look at and you think... God has to be having a laugh with this. And so I can just see God and Adam having this incredible time of joking, but also incredible time of seriousness and, and just, I can imagine Adam just being in awe of the things that God was creating. Creating things that were perfect. There was no disease. There was no mistakes because sin had not yet entered the world. And so they went through this process and then once, once they had finished that process, God realised that there still wasn't this perfect companion for Adam and so that's when Eve came along, this perfect helper. And then they were both given responsibility in the garden. And then the fall happened and sin entered the world. But we know by reading 
through what happens immediately after they ate the fruit in Genesis 3, 8. It talks about when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, that is Adam and Eve, heard the Lord walking in the garden and so they hid from the Lord God in the trees. And then God called to them, where are you? We can see that from this, God would come and he would walk in the garden and he would spend time with Adam and Eve because God was creating all humanity for relationship with himself. God's desire is for relationship. To be in relationship with humanity, who he made in his image. And so he would come and he would walk with them in the garden. but they're hiding from him and he's calling, he's seeking them. Where are you? You know, Adam and Eve, they they broke that relationship that they had through their disobedience. They have one rule. Don't eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They could do anything else they wanted to. It was the only thing they weren't allowed to do. And through their disobedience, that relationship that God so desired was broken. You know, again, God calling out, where are you? Sin had entered the world and and that perfect relationship between God and and between man was broken. and, And suddenly, because of that sin, Adam and Eve were afraid They were afraid of their nakedness and so they hid from God. And God's desire was still there but sin had come in and it had severed that relationship. That relationship was broken and so God needed to take drastic action. And we heard all about that drastic action again this morning with what Ron shared for us. The lengths that God would go to to restore that relationship with us. And, and so in the Old Testament, the rest of that Old Testament story is, is of God preparing and, and pointing the way for that sacrifice, the need for that sacrifice, so that re- relationship could be restored. You know, the Old Testament is, is just proving that without a perfect sacrifice without something to take all of that sin and all of that brokenness, that true relationship with God could not be restored. It needed to be taken out of our hands. You know, the Old Testament is full of rules and regulations of what what the people at the time had to do to be in relationship with God. But there is nothing that we can do to restore that relationship. It had to be done by Jesus. It had to be done by God's Son. And so God gave up His Son, Jesus. And Jesus chose to come so that we could be sons and daughters of the Most High God. So that we could be invited into this family of God once more, the way that God intended it to be. You know, because of Jesus, because of His death, because of His sacrifice, 
that incredible sacrifice that we were reminded of, the brutality of what he went through for us. So that sin and death could be defeated. So that brokenness of relationship could be restored. So that each one of us has the opportunity to enter into that perfect relationship with the Heavenly Father God. You know, and, and you can see that God's, God's heart for us never changes. God is steadfast and He never changes. He loves us always. He created us to be loved by Him and for us to love Him in return. It's how we're built. And James 1.17 reminds us of this when it says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift that is coming down to us from God our Father. the one who created all the lights in the heavens. And he never casts, or he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. You know, God's desire is, is for relationship. And that remains the same in us. You know, it's, it's the same as what it was intended in those very first days of creation when when God and Adam were there and creating and naming together. God intends to be in this space of being in relationship. He wants to be intimately involved in each of our lives to work with us, to guide us. And God is always ready and waiting for us to spend time with Him. He's always ready and waiting for us to commune with Him and and, you know, so that's the, the first thing I really want to ponder, us to ponder on this morning as we, as we gather is, you know, how often do we find ourselves seeking God? And how often is God calling to us, where are you? Because God's heart for us is for relationship with Him. And we know how desperate He was because He sent His Son, Jesus, and we know what Jesus went through for us. Now, He created us because He wants to be in our lives. He wants to shape and guide and lead us and He wants us to be His sons and daughters. Again, only made possible through that incredible sacrifice of Jesus. God wants for us to be a family, a family of God. With God as our Heavenly Father the perfect father, not a father that we might have experienced here on earth that may be good or may be bad or just completely absent. And so as we reflect on what it means to be in the family of God, there is this consideration of are we seeking God first? Now, Because it's something that Jesus says to us in Matthew 6, and it says that your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. And so there is this question of are we seeking God in the midst of everything that we are going through right now? Are we seeking God? Or we are, are we allowing the other things in life to get in the way before we're seeking Him? Or are we giving Him two minutes here and there? 
Are we really seeking him and allowing him to be in that space of walking with us in every moment of every day? Seeking him above all else. As, as, As we've already established that God is never changing and he is seeking for relationship with us. He is seeking us just the same way that he did in the garden when he's looking for Adam and Eve and he's calling out, where are you? That is God speaking to us again today, where are you? Inviting us into this place of deeper and deeper relationship with him. And and through this series, I really feel like God is just reminding us that, that he loves us and he is there for us always. And the fact that we are, we are created to love, we are created to be in relationship with him, but also with each other. God designed the family unit for that purpose. And again, maybe our, our earthly family isn't ideal. So that's not a good thing to base it on. So I want to spend a little bit of time of just, just looking at what does God's family actually look like. And... and what, what better way to do that than to look at the way that Jesus and God interacted when Jesus was here on earth. And so we're just going to spend a little bit of time on that. And we're going to look at you know, what it is to be a family of God, what it is to be Cornerstone, what it is to be God's church. Not specifically Cornerstone, but the wider church. You know, what is it about us as God's family that will show to someone out there that they want to be a part of this. Someone looking from the outside in, wanting the desire to be a part of this amazing family that we are a part of. And so, really, the simple answer to that is love. Our love for God, our love for each other, our love for those out in the world... Now, Jesus instructs his disciples in John 13, 34 and 35. It says, love each other. Just as I, that is Jesus, just as Jesus has loved us. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so we are, we are to love each other just as Jesus loves. And so again, that raises the question of, of what does that love look like? What did Jesus' love look like? And so we're going to look at some examples. I'm not going to actually have the passages, like the whole passage up on the screen. I'm going to give you a summary, but there will be the reference up there if you want to have a look later but I encourage you to get into the Gospels, into the Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the story of Jesus and just look how Jesus loved. To look at that perfect example of what relationship with God is supposed to look like. You know, Jesus showed us through his life on earth and and in his ministry about what it is to be part of the family of God. 
both in, in the relationship that we see between God and Jesus as he goes about his ministry, but also between Jesus and those that are around him when he was here on earth. And so even, even from a young age, if we, if we look at Jesus' life, even from a young age, Jesus had this heart and desire to know and understand more and more about who God was. You know, if we look at the story, there's a story in Luke 2, 41 and 52, the story of Jesus as a boy in the temple. And we read about as, how as a young boy during the Passover feast, his family had gone to Jerusalem and, and his mum and dad, Mary and Joseph, they leave and Jesus remains behind in the temple. He stays behind in the temple to learn and to grow and to understand more about who God was rather than travelling home with his parents. Perhaps not the best example of good parenting. Hey, three days it was before they realised that Jesus wasn't with them. Now, I mean, obviously a little bit different probably to, to me getting in the car with my family and getting home and realising that I've left one of my children here. But three days. So don't, you know, even Jesus' parents got it wrong. So be encouraged by that. Don't leave your kids here. Just saying. <laughs> but Jesus was hungry for the Word of God. Jesus was hungry for that relationship and understanding of who God was. And then in, in preparation for, for his ministry in, in Matthew 3 and in Luke 3, we, we read the accounts of Jesus and his baptism where the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and God actually speaks from heaven. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Because there was relationship there. And Jesus desire to prepare himself for ministry and to declare his faith in God through baptism brought God great joy. Incredible joy. Just like my son Zeke who got baptised a couple of weeks ago. Incredible joy and it's, I know it's only a very small portion compared to what God would. But just as, actually as a sidetrack, just for a moment, just hit the pause button for a moment. It's, it's baptism is so important in our journey. You know, Acts 2.38, I'm not sure if I put this one on the screen, Dave, is it there? Yeah, cool. You know, each, it says, each one of us must repent from our sins, turn to God and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so there is this challenge I want to throw out this morning. If you have invited Christ into your life and you haven't been baptised yet, I encourage you to do that. Come and see me afterwards here at Cornerstone. We, we believe in full immersion baptism just as John performed on Jesus in the story of, that's in, uh, where was it, Matthew and Luke? Matthew 3 and Luke 3. And so if you, I just want to say to you, if you want to be baptised, come and see to me because we want to, we want to do that. As I say, we, we baptised seven kids the other day and it was just awesome. We've got a lovely tank that you have to climb into and it's part of the journey. It's part of the commitment. To be, we're going to work on that, but 
It is just so awesome to see people taking that step. So if you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to be in that space. Anyway, going back. So Jesus is baptised and he receives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove as he prepares himself for the ministry, for the, the true work that God has intended for him to do while he's here on earth. And so he immediately goes out into the wilderness for 40 days with no food, with no water, and there the devil finds him and tempts him. And so in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, you can read about the temptation of Jesus. And the devil comes to him and he offers him all of this stuff to bow down and worship him. And every time Jesus responds with the word of God, with the promises that are found in the word of God, with the truths that are found in the scriptures, the same scriptures that we have access to today, plus more, we've got an extra bit with the New Testament. Because God's word is mighty and God's word is powerful. And it has power over the enemy. And so that knowledge and understanding of Scripture is so crucial. And Jesus knew that and he had that knowledge and he had that understanding of Scripture. And he committed the time to being in God's Word and spending time with people who knew the Word too. That's the whole point of him hanging about in the temple was because there were scholars there that knew about God's word and he was asking questions and he was learning and he was growing in understanding. Jesus understood God's desire for relationship. And so then throughout his ministry, a period of only about three years, Jesus did life with the disciples that he chose. This small group of guys that he, he did life with, they just spent every moment of every day together. And he went about healing the sick and casting out demons and teaching and preaching. And all the way through Jesus' ministry, we would read about how he would withdraw away to pray and spend time with God. Even if that meant in the darkest hours of the night when everyone else was asleep. He would withdraw and he would spend that dedicated time with God. And time and time again in, in Jesus' ministry, we see him meet people and just love them. Right where they were, regardless of the plans that he had, or the situation, or the circumstance that he found himself in. Jesus would just love people and he was filled with compassion and empathy for those that he encountered on his journey. even in moments of incredible pain. You know, there's, there's the account of the feeding of the 5,000, which you can read in Matthew 14, which is an amazing thing that Jesus does, an amazing miracle. But in the moments before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has received word that John the Baptist, the guy who had baptised him, but also a close relative of his, had been arrested and killed by King Herod. 
And so he hears this horrendous news that his friend and family member had been killed and so he jumps in a boat to escape it all, just to find a moment alone, to find a quiet place to grieve. But these crowds of people who have been following his ministry, they follow him from the shore, they get a a hint of where he's going, they sort of chase the boat and he comes ashore and he sees this vast crowd of people and it says that he is filled with compassion for them. And he spends time healing them, healing the sick and teaching them, ignoring his own needs, ignoring the fact that he wants to just be alone with his thoughts and, and grieve and, or with his close friends and just be in this space. You know how you just want to shut it all out. And yet here we find him healing the sick and preaching and teaching these people that are so hungry for that relationship. And in fact so hungry for food that he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. Such amazing love, such amazing compassion for people. And there are so many different accounts And that's why I want to encourage you to read through the Gospels, to look at the things that Jesus did and and put yourself in that space. Recognise where Jesus is at. The things that he's dealing with in himself as as he walks this road toward the cross. But there's, a, there's another example that I want to I just pull out, which is the example of the, of the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. And you can read about that in John 8. And so the, this woman is caught in, in the act of adultery and she is dra- dragged by the teachers of the law before Jesus, who is actually in the middle of preaching to a crowd of people in the Garden of Olives. And the law that I was talking about before, the the laws of things that God had put in place to to try and bring about some form of relationship with himself, the law required that she be stoned to death. And here we see Jesus challenge the accusers that are bringing her before him. And in verse 7 of John 8... It says these incredible words, it says, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And as a result of those words, gradually that crowd of accusers disperses until no one is left there except for Jesus and this woman. And then in John 8, 10 to 11, he says to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Such compassion, such love, such grace and forgiveness and John 3:17 reminds us that, that God in fact sent his son Jesus into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. You know G- Jesus did not judge that's very clearly evident in what we've just heard about. 
but he came to show the Father's love, to show the Father's grace and compassion to all humanity, to show how to love and to be loved in God's family. And, and so there is this call on us to do the same. You know, we, we are called to be like Jesus. As his followers, as his disciples, we are called to be like him. And so maybe there are times in our lives where we're possibly we're falling into that same place that those teachers of the law were at. Where maybe we see ourselves as better or more important or more holy or more knowledgeable. Perhaps where we feel like we're more worthy of God's love than others that we might meet. And we actually forget about the love and the compassion and the grace or even our own past. And Romans 3.23 is such a great reminder for us because it tells us that everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We are all in this same boat together. None of us has life perfected None, none of us do. You know, and if we think that we've got it all together, then we're just kidding ourselves and we're seriously mistaken. I mean, the only thing that we can be certain of in all of this is that we are loved by God. And that He has done everything to save us, to bring us back into this place of relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. Again, because God is steadfast, he never changes, he loves each one of us and he is available to us always. Again, we see Jesus throughout his ministry take time to pray and to grab hold of moments with God at at any moment that he could. And you know, God is there and he is ready and he is available in those moments. And prayer is such an incredible and important part of our relationship with God. It is our conversation with God. And sometimes we just need to shut up and let him speak. But it is also an incredible gift that we have to be able to pray for each other. Yeah? To support and encourage each other to to bring the needs of our community around us to God. And I wonder how often we fall into that same sort of trap as, as where we're thinking we've got it all together um, and we're better than others and we hold back from praying for people. Where we hold back from praying for the needs of those that we meet or, or even just praying for each other. You know, ignoring those people that God puts in our path that are there specifically because God wants us to show love and compassion and grace. To pray for healing if it's needed. To enable his redemption. And we ignore that all because we don't have enough time. We're too busy. We're we're on the way to somewhere. We've got something more important to do. Prayer is so important.
And then the final thing I want to look at is as Jesus hung on the cross. You know, Ron shared this incredible picture of what Jesus went through on that cross for us. Those nails that, that pierced his hands and his feet, 18 inches long. What is that? That's like, I don't know, inches? Big nails. And this crown that's made of thorns thrust upon his head and being whipped by a whip that's got metal in the end of it. I cannot fathom that. And here he is hanging, dying as that perfect sacrifice for our sin. For the sin of all humanity and he's still there showing love and compassion. And he's praying. As he's hanging there on the cross, Jesus prayed for those that hung him there. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And his mother is there and his disciple John. And he sees them there and he says, Dear woman, here is your son. And here is your mother. Building relationships. Even showing grace and compassion for the criminal that hung on the cross next to him. And we read that in Luke 23. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffs, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God, even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus shows love and he shows compassion and he shows grace, looking beyond outward appearance, looking beyond situation and just recognises God's love for creation. Recognises God's love for his creation, for his desire for relationship with us. And so there is this challenge for us to be like Jesus. And it is my prayer that, that God would fill us with that same compassion that Jesus had. That we would meet people right where they are. You know, again, there are so many more examples. But I want to encourage you to take the time to get into the Word and to read it to grab hold of those promises, to recognise who Jesus was and what he means to each one of us, but also how he lived and how he loved, 
how he showed compassion. You know, the challenge for us is that, is that we would show that same love. That in those moments that we would get out of the way. That we would be seeking God. That we wouldn't be shying away from him. Because of the cross, we can boldly enter into the throne room of grace. Because of the cross, we are washed clean. And so we don't need to hide away. We don't need to be ashamed but we need to be seeking God. Because we know, as we've heard this morning, that God is seeking us. He's calling out, where are you? You know, we need to love each other. We need to love the people in this community around us. We need to love this city and we need to love this country that we live in. We need to love the creation around us to show that same compassion and grace that God showed for us. We need, to, we need to serve each other. There's that question of how can I serve you? To serve our community, to serve the city, to pray for each other, to pray for our community, to be praying for our leaders, to be praying for our nation, to be praying for this broken world that God has placed us in for a reason and for a purpose. to not have attitudes of judgment of the people that we see around us because maybe they don't fit into the mould of what we expect or maybe we feel like that we're better than them or whatever it might be, but just to, just to remove those sorts of judgment and to come around and to encourage each other, to have that compassion, to have that grace You know, you can change the course of someone's life through encouragement. There might be things that you're judgmental of and I pray that those feelings of judgment, judgment are removed but the simple process of encouraging someone in the work that they're doing or whatever can have such a phenomenal impact. And so it is my prayer again that we would be encouragers that God will fill us with his compassion and his grace so that we can do that in a way that transforms lives through Jesus on the cross. So that this community around us can be transformed. So that everyone can be a part of God's family. Because the invitation's there. God's desire is for us to be part of his family. So let's just pray. Lord God, I just, I just thank you again in this moment that, that you desire for relationship with us. I thank you that that's who you created us to be. And I thank you that you want us to be in your family. God, I just pray that you would help us. That you would help us to be true and loving members of your family. Help us to love the way that you love. Again, help us to be filled with compassion, to be active in prayer. God, I pray that you would help us to be available. God, I pray that we don't let our busyness 
or our self-importance get in the way of what it is that you want to do in our lives and in the lives of those that are around us. And God, I pray that you would just bind us together, that you would bind us together as your family. And I pray that, that you would make us a family that just loves, that loves you, that loves each other, and that loves the world around us and welcomes and encourages. Love that brings about healing and restoration and ultimately brings people back to you. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the things that you see. To look past the things that we see in our humanness and to recognise the creation and the humanity around us that you love. Enable us to be effective in establishing and growing your kingdom. Amen. And so maybe you are here today and you, and you haven't made that personal commitment with God. You haven't invited God into your heart. And maybe you don't feel like you're part of his family and you know, as you've heard today through this message, God's desire, God's heart is for you to be in relationship with him, to be part of his family. And, you know, there's, there's nothing that we can do. We've, we've heard about what Jesus has done for us that makes a way for us to be in relationship with God. And, and, and all we have to do is ask him into our heart. And so if you want to do that today, I just want to invite you to pray just a really simple prayer to invite God into your life. Let's just close our eyes and pray again and I invite you to pray with me if this is you. Lord God, I thank you that you want a personal relationship with me and that you want me in your family. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his life. I thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. And I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. And I thank you that I'm forgiven because of the cross, because of Jesus. And I invite you into my life. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer along with me this morning, I want to welcome you to God's family. I'd love to, you to come and tell me if you prayed that prayer. I'd love you to tell someone around you because this is a momentous moment. We want to celebrate with you. So come and, come and see me as always. The front, the front is open for prayer. I'm going to be over here. So if you want some prayer, I'd love, to, I'd love to pray with you. There's others here that would love to pray with you if you have a need. We're going, to, we're going to close with a song. The team's going to lead us in worship for one more song. And I invite you to, to join with us after for morning tea. Bless you.